It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Her name is Carla Philibert, and she is a recognized expert on social-emotional learning, mindfulness, and yoga practices in the school setting. And I'm so excited to have her join us today. This is July. This is, we're coming out of school, and so we need to have this conversation about educator self-care. So welcome, Carla. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Carrie. I'm honored to be here. First, I want to ask you to kind of tell folks how you got started with your work around educator self-care and mindfulness. Thank you. Such a great question. So I was part of a team that started a school in Chicago's La Villita or Little Village neighborhood. And now this is almost, gosh, 17 years ago. And when we started the school, we had thought of what we thought was everything, you know, the rigor of the curriculum and were we going to include, was this going to be college? Were these students going to feel that they had access to material that would help them be college bound or would help them go into trades that excited them? And that regard, Wow, we checked all the boxes and and we had forgotten about the social emotional learning needs, the well-being needs of the students that were sitting in the desk in front of us. And that was quite, you know, that was quite a misstep, Carrie. I'm not going to lie. You know, here we were, we were guests in this community. We were invested in this community and cared about the families and the students in this community. Yet, we weren't listening to the voices of those families and the voices of those students of what they really needed. And so there was sadly a gang shooting in the community and the following, it happened over the weekend and the, and the following Monday we came to school and I was that teacher that had my standards on the board and my lesson on the board and the kids were coming in and they were super chatty. And I remember turning and saying, you know, cause usually they would sit down, we'd get right to work. And I would say like, Letizia, like Kay Onda, like what's going on? And she said, Oh, Miss T Marcos was shot. And I said, I, I don't, we, we don't have them. We don't have a Marcos. And she said, Marcos went to Finkel. A lot of us went to eighth grade with him And she's like, what should we do? And in that moment, I realized that, well, I realized a couple of things. One, as an educator with a master's degree, I was not qualified in this moment to meet the needs of my students, to serve the students that were sitting in front of me. And that was, that was on me. And in that moment, I realized largely because I thought about teaching just as the delivery of academic content and not about teaching the whole child. And at this point, social emotional learning or well-being was on like one professor slide, you know, maybe in one class I had on methods, maybe, right? And so I, I, in that moment, I just froze. It was a deer in headlights. And I said, all right, everyone, let's do a double entry journal on why gang violence is bad for our neighborhood. And they looked at me like, really? That's the, that's mm. the best you've got. Like really you start a school and wow. yeah, that you're coming at us with that. And I realized in this moment, we weren't, we weren't doing the job that we had promised the community we were going to do. And so I remember meeting with our team and meeting with the principal and saying, we've got to do something different. And I didn't know what Carrie, to be honest, I didn't know what that different was going to look like or be, but I realized it wasn't a fair ask of us 
to say to students, you know, whatever may, may or may not be happening outside of the schoolhouse doors, whether it's something that's challenging you or something you'd like to celebrate here, come sit down and look at the board, focus on the standards and learn. That's not a fair ask. Hmm. And so, you know, that started with me practicing yoga with students because I was getting certified to teach yoga at the time and practicing some mindfulness with students and then grew from there into well-being work and self-care and mental health work. But truthfully, Carrie, the reason that it that it grew was because the students were patient with me and informed the process because I had to go for my traditional way about thinking about of teaching. Right. Because like you, Carrie, I grew up in a family of educators. Yes. Right. And it was it was very much like the educator says and does this and the students receive this. And so I had to switch my thinking as an educator and say, if this if this well-being work is going to be impactful, I have to be a listener first. Hmm. And I have to change the way I'm delivering this content and say, gosh, I got to listen to the families. Gosh, I've got to listen to the students in a real way. In a, in a real way and, and see and define well-being and self-care robustly, challenge the way I was thinking and talking about mental health, even at that time, um, and preconceptions there. And so it really started with me, Carrie, falling on my face <laughs> and stumbling. And then the students picking me up and dusting me off and saying, all right, Miss T, let's have some real conversations about this. Wow. What a phenomenal story. That is just... That's just so interesting. Um, and so I want to segue from that. Um, I know you, you, your aha or your epiphany to start this work started with your work with students. Mm -hmm. But to segue to teachers and educators, especially when you look at the traumatic year that we just experienced across the board in terms of COVID, in terms of, you know, just social unrest. Why do you think that attending to self-care is so important for teachers and educators? Why is that something that we shouldn't just let be a slide or let slip through the cracks? Carrie, thank you for this question, because it is it is so important. And I think we education is an industry need to look at first how we talk about educator well-being. We talk in our country about the importance of education, but we rarely talk about the importance of the well-being of the educators that we ask to serve our students. And we, whether we're talking about the social emotional learning standards, and I know you and I are both so fans of social emotional learning, you know, or well-being work, which can be a little bit more murky. And I know we'll talk about that in a second. We are charging teachers. And by teachers, I mean everyone, every caring adult that we ask to teach students how to be in the world. And so I love to say that includes paraprofessionals, that includes aides, that includes counselors, social workers, administrators. If you're working and interacting with a child, you're teaching that child how to be in the world and therefore deserve training and therefore deserve coaching in these practices. And so if we are, if we are saying that well-being of educators and teachers is important, then what we have to do is really look at how equitable are those opportunities for training? How equitable are those opportunities for coaching and for developing practices and looking at access to those opportunities? And so often I will work with, we on, on average, my organization, Mindful Practices, works with about 75 school districts, large and small, 
regions across the United States and Latin America, Mexico. And what often will happen is superintendents will call me and say, all right, so we put some money into well-being. We have a salad bar and a yoga class. No one's eating a salad bar. No one's going to the yoga class. And I'll say, all right, so did you talk to the educators and say, will this yoga class after school work for you? Or are you going to feel guilty because you're already away from your kids all day? And by the way, how much is childcare going to be to, to be able to go to that yoga class? And so you've, and the superintendent, of course, will say, oh, yikes, I didn't think of that. These weren't equitable or accessible points of entry into the well-being work. And so to do this work in a way that's impactful, to do this work in a way that is sustainable, we all need to learn that point that I learned the hard way with my students of let's work first on being listeners hmm. and asking folks, as my dear friend, Marie Sweeney, the chief equity officer for Chicago Public Schools would say when asked about well-being work, and you might've read his excerpt in my book, right? He'll say, for people of color, well-being work will look different. For women, well-being work will look different. And understanding that points of entry for different folks is something we have to listen to and pay attention to. It can't just be like yoga class, salad bar, right. dress on jeans day, you know, <laughs> that's not going to move the needle. And then when we listen, we also can, can pay attention to curating a definition of well-being and self-care that speaks to the, the, the diverse communities and rich communities that our school districts serve. Absolutely. And what's coming up for me as I hear you speak is just the connection between how when we talk about personalizing student learning in our state, we place an emphasis on listening to student voice. And so I love that you're bringing that up, even when we're talking about self-care from the adult standpoint, instead of just making a rash decision, it's important to listen and, and feel what, what the need really is in order to best provide the, the best solution. So I appreciate you in, in naming that. And now you just brought up um, equity. So I want to kind of dig into that a little bit more. I read in the book, um, and for those of you who don't know, um, there's a book that Carla has written um, called Everyday Self-Care for Educators. You should definitely get yourself a copy. But in the book, um, you talk about how teacher stress is an equity issue. And I like for you to kind of unpack that for our listeners a little bit. Um, why do you say that teacher stress is an equity issue and um, couple that along with the accessibility to the well-being practices that you just spoke about? Well, thank you, Carrie. And I have to give credit to my dear friend and co-author, Chris Soto from Durham Public Schools. Um, who, who actually wrote that first chapter. He's such, he's such an amazing resource and, and a friend and mentor of mine. And when we look at, when we look at that intersection of well-being and what really what I like to say is kind of like mental health in schools and how we talk about adult and teacher and stakeholder mental health in schools and equity, often it is that we are presupposing need and we are saying, okay, here are prepackaged, albeit often well-intentioned, but prepackaged solutions. There, there is not the opportunity for folks who are receiving well-being solutions to test and iterate what works. There isn't an opportunity for folks to speak freely and openly using different language around well-being needs. And for us to have those conversations that may be verbal, like we're chatting right now, or if I am, if English is not my native language, 
then maybe I have the opportunity opportunity to speak through a translator. Maybe I have the opportunity to speak via a, a feedback form or a survey or a post-it note that I've left on your desk. But what often happens is that the opportunities for voice, we are not there when we think about adult learners. And then the opportunities for the actual like receiving of practices, it can be like the yoga class, the salad bar, maybe one more thing, right? And Carrie or Carlo better really like that yoga class or salad bar or else. And then also we, we don't think about, we don't think about pieces around secondary trauma, compassion fatigue, and how depending upon our histories, Carrie, even though we're in this moment together, we both have rich backgrounds and histories where maybe around our tables growing up, you could say mental health needs, but I couldn't. There was shame wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And so you can you have more practice speaking freely around your mental health or self-care needs, but I don't because there is there's that shame that I'm carrying and I need to unpack. So my point of entry is looks differently, sounds differently. Maybe the school where I'm teaching has a different makeup or that community has a different exposure to trauma than the school where you're teaching. And so I may have secondary trauma or compassion fatigue concerns. And so I think that when we, again, when we construct solutions without voice and without multiple stakeholders present, then these practices are not equitable. You know, so often, again, I'll work with schools and they'll say, oh, let's do well-being work. Let's do self-care work. And then I'll, I'll say, all right, I'm going to go on a listening tour and I'll start the listening tour, tour, Carrie. And I always make sure that in my listening tour, I include paraprofessionals or aides. And in those conversations, they'll often say, well, you know, we're not allowed in the faculty lounge. On teacher appreciation day, we clap for the teachers, but no one gives us an award or the $5 target gift card or the, well, then how can folks if we're not allowed in the faculty lounge, how are we going to feel that we have a seat around the table to co-create our well-being practices for the district? And so it's mm-hmm. really taking really taking the time to listen before we define. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. You talked about um, compassion fatigue and just the overall um, mental toll that it takes to be an adult in a school environment, but there's often not enough opportunities for them to vocalize a need or receive support in those areas. So my next question for you is, how do you think that educators can do better in terms of being self-advocates for themselves in this seemingly taboo subject? I love this question, Carrie, and thank you because I, I, I love how in your, in your podcast series, you really unpack the tough questions. And I think that's so important, especially as we look at levers for change. When we look at the world health definition of mental health, the world health, the WHO says that mental health is a state of well-being in which the individual realizes their own abilities to cope with normal stressors, to contribute productively to work and their community. Now, if we heard that definition, just you and I talking you know, there's two gals that love education and love to talk about, you know, what, what makes an impact. We would say, that sounds like what we're asking teachers to do. But then when we slap the label of mental health on it, then all of a sudden we say, oh, no, 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 no. That mental health, that sounds broken. Sounds like something's wrong with you. Nope, nopers, right? And so I think the first step for us, Carrie, is to redefine how we talk about mental health. 
you know, after World War II, those folks that needed mental health services were those folks that would go to hospitals and talk to people mm. in white lab coats. And then that shifted. And now if, you know, if I need mental health services, I most likely go to someone's office someplace, could be in their home. And I sit on a couch that's comfy with lovely hanging plants and drink tea and talk about what's what's got me bummed out. So I'm hoping that the same way that clinically we have seen a shift, I would like us to also see a shift around the way in education we talk about mental health. Now, right now we say those students who need mental health services, well, those students are going to see the social worker. Those students need crisis intervention. And I know, Carrie, in our work in the SEL space, you you and I have often seen social emotional learning used, sadly, as crisis intervention. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're missing this opportunity in education to meet the mental health needs of all students, to meet the mental health needs of all teachers. And we're missing this opportunity because we're not saying it's okay. We're not saying it's okay. So do does this kind of harken back to our conversation around equity? Absolutely. Does it harken back to our conversation around access? Absolutely. But what we have to do is lift this stigma around mental health. Now, does that mean that we're asking Mm. every caring adult that serves students to be a mental health professional? No. What we are asking, though, is that we train every caring adult, every educator, every teacher. We provide every caring adult, every teacher with coaching so they can have that are you okay conversation. And then they can build, as John Hattie tells us, that positive relationship with a student because they have the bandwidth themselves emotionally to do that because they've done that work themselves. Well, here's what I want to talk to you about. What are some practical self-care first steps for teachers who want to avoid that burnout? Um, I love a quote that's in the book too, and I can't remember it verbatim, but pretty much in essence, it says that in order for teachers and to be able to give to students in the way they have to be cared for themselves. Like, you know, when teacher burnout is real and if I have emptied myself, then I have nothing to give to you. So being that we're going into the summertime and, you know, a lot of teachers are kind of feeling that burnt out wave. I just wanted to get from you some practical first steps for self-care and also answer that question around like, is self-care the shopping trip at Old Navy or somewhere else? (laughs) Well, it depends on if you're looking for a new bag or a new pair of shoes and you find that new bag or pair of shoes, it feels good. So we're going to own it, my friend, right? It feels good. Um, I, I love this question and, and thank you. It's it's funny because when we were developing our tool class catalyst, we had this little cohort of teachers and we were talking to them about their self-care. And, you know, again, listening to voices, getting seats, listening to folks around the table. And really one of the things that we found is that, you know, they, they would, we had them submit a pre and a post survey and we'd ask them like, what moves the needle for your self-care? And we found that there wasn't this common formula. And so in the research with University of Chicago, we expected there to be, oh my gosh, it is, it's 10 minutes of mindfulness a day. Boom, there it is. That's the secret formula. And what we found instead were those folks that were successful at self-care practices were those folks who could, kind of as what we were talking about earlier, who could view self-care, mental health, and well-being without this kind of layer of shame, layer of guilt. 
And those were the folks that when they were able to say, I can, I can say out loud, I have a mental health need. It doesn't mean I'm broken. I can say out loud, Mm. I need 10 minutes for me. And it doesn't mean I'm broken. And so what we did as an organization was looked at the work in the the trauma-informed space. And I love the Trauma Stewardship Institute. They have this kind of like list of top 10 things to do, right? Different points of entry to the work. And the very first thing that they say is protect your mornings. Hmm. And I love that because what that does, and it could be, you know, Carrie, it could be protect your afternoons when you walk the dog, right? And you just get in, get in your own head, my friend, right? Like I love my afternoon knock back with the dog, or I love working in my garden, or I love, right? Protect that time fiercely, like your strong warrior woman self, my friend, because that's your time where then you realize what you need. And without hmm. that time, what happens is then we burn that candle at both ends because we're all in education, because we get the moral and imperative. We want to serve kids. This is a high stakes game. We're all here. We all know it. Right. And so we burn that candle. We work, 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 work. And then we turn around and somebody says to us, okay, Carrie, what do you need? And you're like, what do I need? I need 10 minutes to think about what I need. Then I'll tell you, right. Where Mm -hmm. those folks who protect their mornings or protect time process those layers of guilt or shame or fuzziness or murkiness that might come with this work and can speak to that and can work through that doesn't mean that they've solved it but they're they're willing to be curious they're willing to engage in self-inquiry those folks then are more readily able to find the self-care practice that sticks mm-hmm. and then they're they're able to test and iterate So it might be that you and I are going to this amazing yoga class together and we built it into our schedule and then the instructor changes, right? And you're like, okay, Carla, I'm going to keep going. I love the new instructor. And I'm going to be like, oh, oh my gosh, she makes me crazy. And then you're going to be like, well, I'm going to go to the class. I'm going to be like, well, fine. Well, I'm not going to go because I hate the way she wears her ponytail, right? And so next thing you know, you've got the (laughs) class and I'm like, oh, now I don't have my thing, right? but I know I still need a thing. And so those people who can test and iterate, test and iterate, test and iterate, work through the guilt, work through the shame. Those people are those that, those are the folks that are most successful at sustaining well-being practices. Mm, I love that. I've never heard it put that way, but protect your mornings or your afternoons. I like that. And I'm going to definitely apply that for sure. Love that. It's hard. Yes. Yes, it is. And I I love you talking about like finding your thing and how, you know, sometimes you think there is like a one, like there's this one magic thing that you need to do in order to really attend to your self-care. And I like the fact that you said like, this is an iterative process. So you may try some things, they may not work and it's okay to try again and giving yourself space and grace to do that. I love that. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Um, so I love, I love that you just said, I love that you just said grace, because I think that this work requires such compassion of self and grace. And I am, you know, I am a student of the work. I am a student in yo- of yoga. I'm a student of mindfulness. In no way did I invent it in those traditions um, far, far precede me. Um, and so I want to make sure that I, I say that a lot out loud because it is that, that level of humility that has to come with this work. So thank you for that invitation to operate with grace for oneself. Let's talk about 
about mindfulness. Tell me a little bit more about why mindfulness is important. And I also wanted to know, are there certain activities that teachers or educators, adults in, the, in this work can do in terms of mindfulness, quick activities when they're feeling stressed or feeling overwhelmed? I think when we look at the work of mindfulness, as John Kabat-Zinn tells us, you know, paying attention on purpose in this present moment. Um, or what Kane and Kane have called in the context of education, relaxed alertness. Where when I love, I love that framing because we're, that's what we ask of our students. We want our students to be alert, but not so alert where they are running around our classrooms, right? That's so high energy where it's frenetic. Mm-hmm. And so we want them to be alert but relaxed. And I think that again, that looks differently for our students depending upon their story. And that looks differently for us as educators, depending upon our story. And so in my book, and I know I, I speak to this just slightly in the well-being book, but I also have a four-part series out with Routledge called Everyday SEL, where we created this practice called the pop check, where we ask folks, and this is for adult learners, for children as well, to pause. And find their breath. So find your feet, roll your shoulders back and find your breath, find your feet, roll your shoulders back and find your breath. Now in this, in this pause, we always want to make sure that we're using culturally responsive and trauma-informed language here. So we wouldn't say close your eyes because that may or may not be accessible to folks. And we wouldn't say you have to lean up against a wall or you have to write that understanding that how people might present in their bodies in that moment is what's accessible to them. And so whatever that pause looks like for you, Carrie, looks like for me, or looks like, you know, for our students, respecting that pause and then asking students with eyes closed or open, they're finding their breath, they're getting into their bodies, and then they're going to own what's experience, what they're experiencing in that moment. There's a difference between mood and energy. And again, building that awareness, engaging in that self-inquiry and saying, oh, where am I right now? Where's my mood? Where's my energy? Can I put some words to it? Now, there is some work, and I know I'm sure you're familiar with this in the SEL space, that, that puts weightiness or weight on this kind of game of semantics, as I like to call it, like whether or not I would say, oh, I'm morose or I'm depressed. I I don't love this approach because I don't think it's equitable. Mm. Not all of our students and Carrie, I'm, I'm 45. I don't know the difference between morose or depressed off the top of my head. <laughs> what we need to do is say it, let's not engage in the game of semantics here. Instead, it's a game of self-inquiry. This makes this work accessible for all of our learners, especially, especially our learners who may or may not have English as a, as a native language. Let's get them to express what's happening in the moment. If they want to write it, they want to draw it, they want to say it up here in the brain, whatever it might be. And then find a practice that works for us in this moment. And so if you if you and I, Stephanie was leading us through a pop check in a work setting, she might say, okay, everyone pause, find your feet, roll your shoulders back, find your breath. And she might all right, own what's happening with you in this moment. And you would own this in that fabulous smart brain. And then I would own it. Right. And then she'd say, now find a practice. And maybe for you, Carrie, that would be doodling. Right. And so maybe you would just doodle a little bit. Maybe you doodle that wonderful thing that happened with you over the weekend. And then maybe mine would just be a hand on the belly and a hand on the collarbone and finding a breath. 
But what that does is it gives us all the ability to find that relaxed alertness. It gives us all that ability to pay attention in the present moment, but it's an equitable approach because it's, we're able in real time to differentiate. We're able to say like Carrie's entry point to the work and Carla's entry point to the work is different. Doesn't mean one of them's doing it wrong. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. one of them's broken. I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, pop. Yes. Pop stands for again, pause. Okay. Own it and practice. Okay. Are there any other practices that you can name off the top of your head? I know you mentioned doodling and um, finding your breath. Mm -hmm. Are there any others that you can think of? I love different variations on breathing techniques. You know, there's box breath, there's equal breath. There's a couple there that are, that are in the book. And then I also want to speak to those students or those folks, adults as well, that may have the frenetic energy where they are more comfortable standing. They are more comfortable using their bodies. And, you know, I think like Carrie, if you think about the last relaxing vacation you went on, whether it's like with your group of girlfriends or your partner, your spouse, right. Is that, you know, my husband and I go skiing and I'm bunny hill and hot cocoa in my hand. And he is like, <laughs> let's do the black diamond bowls. And I'm like, no, 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 right. right. Like that's relaxing for you. And for me, it's terrifying. Like, I don't need more adrenaline. I need to relax and read my book. Right. Right. And it's the same with, it's the same with this work. And so what I encourage folks to do, whether you're an adult facilitating this with your teams or whether you're an adult facilitating this with students, or hopefully students are facilitating with other students, the students are leading teachers as well. Folks are using their voice to inform their voices, to inform what practices are on the table. And so saying like, okay, hey, show of hands, who's got some practices that they'd love to share or write it on a post-it and stick it on my desk or, hey, you know, let me know. You can give me a note later. You can put it into an email. So that way we can curate and co-create consensus around practices versus being like, everyone's comfortable closing their eyes and breathing, right? Cool. Let's go. Where you have four Mm. people in the room that are dysregulated. Mm. And so they exit that strategy. Again, a well-intentioned strategy but where they're, they're dysregulated and that's the exact opposite intent of, of why we're facilitating that practice at the jump. So again, that was a lot of the thinking behind class catalyst. That's a lot of the thinking behind the pop check. And that's thinking that I always ask people that pre-planning, that pre-teaching before we jump into a practice, it's not truly carry the amount of time that it takes. It takes 90 seconds. It takes three minutes. It's the amount of intentionality that is needed for the practices to be equitable, for them to be inclusive, for them to be accessible. And we do that by hearing the voices of those folks that we're hoping the practices serve. Mm. So, so true. So, so true. Thank you so much, Carla. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Heather Brass, one of the coaches from the Office of Personalized Learning. As all of our previous face-to-face cohorts have now shifted to self-paced Canvas courses, offering our teams and individuals more flexibility and personalized professional learning experiences, 
we invite you to enroll in the course that fits your readiness. The OPL has also reorganized the way we connect as coaches. Within this new model, each region in South Carolina has an Office of Personalized Learning Coach living in or near who is able to support you from the exploration of personalized competency-based learning to strategic planning and implementation of a personalized competency-based learning system. For example, you or a team may complete a module in launch and you'd like to schedule a planning session or a check-in. Click on your regional map and schedule a time with your coach. Or maybe you and a team are goal setting for the fall. And as a school or a district, you're working to implement the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies. Just click on the map and schedule a time with your regional coach for support. Wherever you or your team are, whether you're exploring as a member of the Personalized SC community, you're enrolling in the Framework Foundation series to explore even further. Or maybe you've enrolled in Launch and you're implementing more learner-centered practices. Or you're registering for our new Community of Practice sessions, building on the competencies. Wherever you are, your regional coach is here to support you and help build capacity every step of the way. We look forward to seeing you soon. Have you heard about the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies? Are you trying to figure out where to start? Check out the South Carolina Department of Education's Office of Personalized Learning self-paced learning strands called the Community of Practice. The Community of Practice is a free interactive self-paced learning opportunity created to support educators as they learn how to integrate the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies into student learning. This new learning opportunity has six strand topics to choose from, including student-led inquiry, explicit skill and strategy instruction, conferencing and feedback, self-regulated learning, expanded talk, and change leadership coming soon. Please visit personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov for more information. everyone we are back with Carla and just in time for our special segment that I like to call making it or breaking it so Carla you can share a make which would be um, something positive that either you've seen happen or you've made happen in the world of personalized competency-based um, learning um, whether that has a tie to social emotional learning as well or you can choose to share a break which could be a barrier a concern or something that we as educators need to let go of in order to give space for um, social emotional learning, competency-based personalized learning to take root in our system. So which will it be, make or break? Oh, I love this game, Carrie. Let's break something, right? I don't okay. sound all Silicon Valley here, but let's disrupt my <laughs> friend. Let's break something. Let's smash the stigma around well about around well-being by smashing mental health smashing it up and saying the the way that we view the stigma around mental health doesn't serve us and i'm even going to go a step further by saying 
that not only doesn't it serve us, but it ex- excludes folks around the table who are sitting sitting on the bench carry saying, I know kids, I want to help, put me in coach. But we say, oh, well, no, 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 no. Only people that quote unquote practice mental health have to have this degree and this schooling and this pedigree and speak this language. Now, by doing that, Carrie, I don't want to dismiss Hmm. those people in the mental health profession who are doing amazing work, who have that degree and who have that pedigree. You're so valuable. You're so important. What I am going to ask is that we put more chairs around the table and we invite more voices to be heard. And we look at the world health organization's definition of mental health. It doesn't belong to that pedigree or that training. That definition belongs to all of us because all of Mm -hmm. us want students to be advocates, to have voice and agency. All of us want students to be contributing members of their communities. And so if we go with the WHO definition, Carrie, then we got to smash that stigma. We're going to break it. I'm breaking it over my knee. Folks who are are listening, I'm breaking it over my knee right now. And we're going to say, we're going to open up this this definition of mental health, we're going to open up this table, we're going to pull up some more chairs, and we're going to hear from more caring adults. And in turn, then we're going to say more caring adults, your charge here is to say, I want to be that student's person. I'm going to sign up for this work. I'm not going to turn the blind eye when I see a student dysregulated. I don't have to be every student's person. I can refer them to Carrier Coach Jack and they're showing you down the hall. I, but I'm going to sign up. I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And those folks that aren't going to throw their hat in the ring, well then great. There's other professions for you. Thank you for coming. But those of us that are staying and are around the table, we're going to say we're here. We're holding hands around the table, Carrie, and we're going to do it together. I love all of that. Love it all. Thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciated it and just appreciative of the connection between even our work in South Carolina. When we're talking about social emotional learning, we're talking about utilizing the profile of the South Carolina graduate competencies to really help get at that work and to open up the space for conversations around just self-care and you know, mindfulness and all of that. So I really appreciate you for being here and speaking to us, even giving us that pop um, exercise. I will definitely be doing that and incorporating that in my day. The last thing I want to ask you is if we have any listeners who want to follow you or connect with you um, in the work that you're doing, how um, might they best be able to reach you and get in touch with you? Well, thank you so much, Carrie. Um, The best way, and I always invite folks, please email me directly. I'll give you tons of websites and there's resources, but also email me directly. I love to hear from friends. If I can answer your question, then the trauma therapist on my team can answer your question. Then the administrator on my team can answer my question. Someone on my team has got your answer because I never want trainings or podcasts to be one and done. I want people to know that they can reach out to me at any time. And so my personal email is Carla, C-A-R-L-A dot P is in Paul at classcatalyst.com. And that's C-L-A-S-S-C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T.com. You can also get all the mindfulness practices and social emotional learning tools on our website, which is mindfulpractices.us. And that's mindfulpractices.us. Dot us. And Carrie, I would be remiss if I didn't say 
how much love I have for you, for Stephanie, for folks in your department, because you are willing to have podcasts like this. You're willing to say, let's have real conversations about this work. What are the lovers? How do we move the needle? How do we make positive change? And so I so respect the work that you're doing. And again, it's been such an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much. We'll be right back to close things out. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!